podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, Minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. It's hard to give up on the feeling that the life you really want is out of reach. Mm. A new IG-worthy home, a promotion on the horizon, all the right possessions. Everyone wants to believe that they are headed toward good, better, best. Today's self-help industry insists on exhausting positivity and on trying to convince us, convince us that we can out-eat, out-learn, and outperform our humanness. After trying to improve everything in our lives, we often discover we are as fragile as the day we were born. Today, we're talking about toxic positivity mm. with Kate Bowler. Kate, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I'm so glad to be here. And just the support of commentary already. <laughs> I'm just, what a warm environment. You got a new book out. It's called No Cure for Being Human. And much of the intro I just read there was an excerpt from the, the back of the book. And I want to talk about the book. We're going to dive into it. But I really want to talk about we're so obsessed with improving yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And... I think it's making us miserable. Can we talk about that? Oh yeah, gospel of hustle. I mean, <laughs> it's right. It, it's a. It was, of course, just a terrible solution to economic conditions. Right. Mm -hmm. That the more we were, the less the government or social services or communities could provide one another. The more we became completely convinced by, you know, shocker, other capitalist forces that mm -hmm. we were supposed to do it all on our own. And so now we're supposed to be these efficiency monsters, these four-hour work weekers, these zero inboxers, like mm. adorable little versions of post-Fordist uh, factories. And mm. I honestly, I'm like half convinced in a regular day that I should be that person. Mm -hmm. Like you take me away from this podcast and I will be like cranking through my inbox. <laughs> but the rest of the time I'm like, wait a minute, aren't I working really hard on a treadmill that is never going to end and yeah. is in fact making me miserable? Mm. I think that's the part because life can be perceived as a treadmill and that's not a good or a bad thing. But if that treadmill is making us miserable and part of that has to do with comparison, it, it feels like, mm. and, and, and it has something else to do with, well, we're sold this sort of meme of the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And it's yeah. that very pursuit that is making us unhappy. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of the like ideologies that support it really do come out of the late 19th century rise of cities where I think you're exactly right that the specter of inequality, seeing people who rise to the top and others who fall to the bottom made us, I'm being generous here and saying Americans <laughs> because I'm not American, but like <laughs> you're made North us, American. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. But made us reach more and more for explanations for why some people like really is, is there such thing as luck or in some people just harder working and more virtuous and more capable of that kind of independence we all want. Yeah. And, and almost Ryan, it seems like we, 
you and I often talk about sometimes it is and it isn't. Like right. you can be capable of achieving all of these things and also luck played a factor in that as well. Yeah. It's not either or. Well, I guess he or she is just lucky. Yeah. yeah. I guess he or she is unlucky. Yeah. Or I guess he is just a great achiever and it's all effort. It's all him, him, him. Mm. But then is yeah. it really just him is it any any one person mm-hmm. and um i don't know I, I think that you know obviously there's uh, platitudes galore here that <laughs> comparison is the thief of joy and, mm-hmm. and, and and all of these other things that that um i think there's profound truth in these things but they've sort of been stripped of their emotional resonance resonance because they've been used so frequently so in in the new book no cure for being uh human uh, being for being human um it seems to me that we are almost avoiding our humanity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I find sometimes with my, as I happen to be one of the people who are typically described as unlucky. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, in my life, I often find that like, it's much easier for people to reach for um, like a quick explanation for why, why, why me, not them. Um, and I think some of these sort of like, facile reasons that we assign to our lives sometimes they they're so wonderful because they give us that sense of like get up and go purpose in the day energy drive horizon Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the time they can be an incredible burden to people who don't have the convenience of pretending that we don't desperately need each other i think instead of imagining like the language strictly as that of grief or um i guess like yeah i guess just like grief for not having the lives we want Mm. i guess i i just I'm kind of more of a fan of like talking about finitude. Like, how about it's okay? I mean, I'm in the right, I'm at the right table for this in which it's okay that enough, like more than enoughness is not the inherent rubric for success. But that's what we're all looking for. It's more, more, more. We never Mm. stop to question what is enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're running on the treadmill and you think, I just need to run faster. Yeah. But sometimes you just need to step off. <laughs> or just let it chew you out the back. Right. And then yeah. lie there for a minute. Yeah. That too. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then while recovering from your light concussion, yeah. you'll maybe have some insight. Well, ours is a listener-driven show. So on this minimal episode today, we're going to talk about toxic positivity. And now people often think that the opposite of that as well. I guess I should just be negative there. What even is toxic positivity? Maybe we can Mm. define that in a moment. By the way, this episode is brought to you by nobody because advertisements suck. Although if you want to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon supporter over at patreon.com slash The Minimalist. You can join thousands of other people. We also put out an additional episode every Thursday over there on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash The Minimalist. That's The Minimalist private podcast. Ryan, we have a question from Facebook. Rebecca has something for us. What are the signs that positivity has become toxic for us as individuals? And what are the signs that our well-intentioned positive vibes are becoming toxic to others? Ooh. Mm. Yeah, I like that question. (laughs) Because it had a lot of words in there that are part of a vocabulary that we've absorbed yeah like vibes for example yeah, yeah. good like, vibes only yeah 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 there's so many so many vibes in the world and apparently only half of them are the right kind <laughs> um yeah i mean and these are like what we call sort of just this is my american religious history mm-hmm. hat that i put on to begin sentences with it was the late 19th century <laughs> um 
But part of the concern there is that um, there's a there's a long tradition in American religious history that imagines that our minds are the most powerful part about us. That mm. our minds are kind of like these little incubators, and that our we what we have to do is sort of harness thought in a particular way and then direct it through the mechanism of words. Um, sort of to or at other people, which is partly how we get a lot of this um, uh, good vibes only. There's a million versions of it. Yeah. It's called positive confession. It's called, um, uh, yeah, there's, it's, depending on what like religious tradition you come from. Sure. But um, I think that kind of aggressive positivity in which you're only allowed then to speak optimistic things mm-hmm. um, can be a huge burden if it prevents you from being honest about the about like the the usually the layered nature of the truth of our lives. Like yeah. I am I am joyful and also I'm terrified about mm. my health. And um, so I've that I find encouragement um, can can really very quickly uh, de- take a detour into preventing people who are suffering from saying anything that makes us feel sad yeah. under the guise of positivity. So I would say it's a burden when it prevents us from being um, honest and it prevents any kind of sentence that can't have an and in it. Right. Mm. And it almost feels as though there's this binary. You either have to be positive, which we then say is good. Yeah. And, and, and then it's value judgment on everything. And then if we're not positive, then it is bad, yeah. right? And then there's like this weird sort of moralizing aspect of that as well. Yeah. If you are not positive in a way, it's it's immoral but at the same time the antidote to that isn't well then walking around and complaining that's not what we're talking about either just a widened i just kind of think of it like a like in a camera like a widened aperture for the light and the dark you get all the granular details then and so all i want is and you know i'm a jesusy person so i just have a lot of like god just let me see the world as it is Mm. like let me just and let that include both the beautiful truths and the ones that are that i i would really rather not see yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, about whenever we, we hear about these negative emotions or we build a camaraderie by complaining yeah. with friends or family or whatever. And that's not the antidote to this, this toxic positivity. So what really is the, why, because I'm not, yeah. I'm a positive person overall, and, and people tend to see that I'm overwhelmingly positive, but it, that's not an affectation either. Yeah, And I think right. maybe it's the affect that is the toxic part of this, because mm. the opposite is also toxic, and I would even say more toxic, the, the constant complaining, the shaming, the mm-hmm. blaming. Mm-hmm. Those things are all toxic as well. Yeah, I guess the problem too with just the language of positivity is we're describing so many things at the same time, right? We're describing... Um, affect. Uh, we're describing personality sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, consequences of being middle class, I just read this book on sort of the history of class, and one of them is um, is is, uh, is ingrained optimism. And I was like, oh, I thought I had a personality, but it turns out I'm just middle class. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's a function of class and circumstance. Um, sometimes too, though, it's this, it's part of this really deep religious and psychological strain in American culture that pretends that our minds are always the kind of drivers of of our entire existence. When in fact, thank you to the rise of trauma studies 
language of embodiment, that we're always kind of doing multiple things at the same time. We're both our genetics, we're our experience, we're our, and emotions aren't simply something we just like direct with our insert scary face <laughs> smile right now, but that we're, we're a flood of a, of a whole constellation of different positive or negative forces and living and sorting through it is part of the like wisdom of figuring out how to, how just how to be honest while we are people again today. Mm. So, so you said that being middle class, you have an ingrained positivity. Positivity, yeah. interesting. It's what I first thought of was like, well, maybe that's because uh, you know they're, the middle class like has things that they are striving for, reaching for, yeah. hoping for. Yeah. Where like someone who's rich kind of like has it all. Yeah. And it's horizon work. That's yeah. what I think of it. Like mm. when um, the, one of the functions of class, right, it's resources. And so when people have limited resources, they just have to constantly work with a horizon that feels really short. Mm -hmm. And then therefore it creates chaos because they can't create predictability. And, and that's why people become what they call like choice poor. It's like every choice mm. costs too much. Yes. And then they, you know, and then we all get, it's like if you've, they, they did this with game simulation where they're like, they gave a certain set of kids a lot of choices as turns and then some kids fewer choices and at first the kids with fewer turns played really carefully but at some point they just got tired and then mm. they start spending their choices you know the way we do when we get tired right. and so yeah. when we're choice poor it can be everything can feel intense and fraught if you have an extended horizon like with the middle class you do get that longer runway feeling. You get that. That's right. how you get your like striver men, like mentality and theology. You get your like hustle, hustle, hustle. And the upper class is typically defined by a limitlessness. Like in everything, they have the embodiment of everything as possible where the middle class just sort of screams it at each other. Mm. And yet we've seen through history where that any of those things are possible no matter where you are on the socioeconomic spectrum. We've all, we all see examples of extremely poor people who have a sort of abundance mindset, mm -hmm. right? And then we have you know, rich people, billionaires, when the stock market goes down, they're, they're hurling themselves out of windows because of the scarcity yeah. mindset. It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm only, uh, I'm only a hundred millionaire now. I'm no longer a billionaire. Mm. How can I possibly live in a world like this? Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and so we've seen that, you know, it's possible and maybe there's a certain you know, mysticism that's required or, or, or transcending the, the circumstances. Although I want to talk to you about this because the last three years I've had some pretty significant health complications mm -hmm. in my own life. And yeah. you're not unfamiliar with that. Um, and, and it's nothing you know, compared to you, but it's not a comparison thing here. But what I found is in those moments where it is most challenging for me, I find that I'm less generous. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is about mm -hmm. that. There, there's something about um, the fear yeah. that doesn't allow us to be uh, yeah, our ourselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a very clenched kind of place, fear. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that, I mean, that makes sense that we just, we start counting differently. The math of our life becomes very small and finite. Mm -hmm. It is it is hard to, I guess I've kind of had a, I guess I've kind of had both experiences weirdly, depending on what sort of terrible thing I've been going through. But like there have been moments in my life where because I was undone, like I'm just thinking of the moment where I was, you know, there's no cancer in my family. All of a sudden I'm told I have stage four cancer. And it felt like my brain, like I it felt like I was floating in space. Like it just, it couldn't possibly be true. Mm. I had to walk over to the hospital 
And I like nothing was ever going to be okay again. I was positive about that. Mm. And I could just feel because um, adorably, I work at a place where my, my place of employment, I work at a divinity school. So it's mostly teaching like nonprofit workers or pastors and that type and is like just about five minute walk from the hospital. And they just, so I'm like, like change out of my pretty fun lecture dress and then into like this sad hospital gown. And I was like, well, like this, like this is my new life. And then they came over in all their little suits and they popped all their little clerical collars out of their gym bags. And there's just like 22. They're like, how many pastors do you have? Mm. Cause you're allowed to get in if you're a pastor. <laughs> so they're like after hours and they just came in and like, just like a hand on my shoulder or like on my head and just like saying to me and like, like they just, they just have all the stuff. They've got the like sweet little like anointing oil, just like, they just bubble wrapped me with so much love mm. that even though I didn't know who I was anymore, I felt like honestly, like just like my life is over in the way that I know it. Mm. And just that was, I've never felt like I had that much abundance mm. and that was made by entirely by other people's love. Wow. So, mm. that, so every now and then I feel like when we have less, we, when we sort of surrender the illusion of it, every now and then people are just, they just life raft you, you know? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Mallory, do we have any tissues by the way? Um, I'm gonna so use this. I'm just gonna hope this uh, this silk is absorbent. <laughs> you can grab a paper towel in there. Yeah. So, wow. Um, mm. Or I can be ragey and sad and petty. I mean, it's really a lot <laughs> yeah. of choices. I got a I got a both and situation. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk to Barley in Boise, Idaho. One of the um, issues that I've seen come up about minim minimalism is the uh, that many people see it as elitism. So I read a comment on a blog the other day um, that said, quote, I think that one reason I've never embraced minimalism is that there seems to be an inherent disconnect with true suffering that makes it difficult to have a healthy relationship with those that don't have the same privileges as me. And I've also heard that it is another form of conspicuous consumption a way of saying to the world, look at me, look at all of the things I have refused to buy. And I don't necessarily agree with those viewpoints, but I was just wondering, interested in what you would have to say on those things and if you think minimalism is a type of um, elitist. Barley, I guess it means, I guess it depends on what you mean by minimalism. Mm -hmm. If you just mean like the if you mean asceticism that is sort of a material asceticism, it, it, that doesn't seem particularly elite to me. Um, but if it if it's someone selling minimalism, like you go to the Gap and they're selling shirts that say minimalism on it, mm. th then yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That, that's not what I think of when I think of minimalism. Let's just take yeah. the word minimalism out of this because that is, seems to be confusing you right now. And I totally get it because there's baggage with any of these terms we use. So let's pick a different ism. Let's just call it intentionalism, right? W whatever you want to call it, if you're living intentionally, what does that mean? It's I'm using whatever resources I have in a deliberate way. Yeah. Now, when Ryan and I grew up really poor, food stamps, government assistance, we certainly could have benefited from being more intentional with the few resources we had. Yeah. And throughout our 20s, as we climbed the corporate ladder and we accumulated a ton of debt and got all the trinkets of success, 
We also would have benefited from minimalism then being more intentional with our resources because we made really good money, but we spent even better money. And so we had huge amounts of debt. We weren't being intentional either time when we were broke and poor and impoverished and when we were you know, supposedly successful, or at least ostensibly successful, yeah. right? And and so if we're talking about the intentional use of whatever is in front of you, your time, your money, your energy, your attention, well, then who wouldn't benefit from that? And so maybe minimalism isn't for everyone, but it's for anyone who is questioning the status quo, or at least being intentional is for anyone who is questioning the the status quo. Mm-hmm. I'm as as a bit of an outsider uh, from minimalism, Kate. I'm wondering, what what are your thoughts on this? When when you hear someone talking about minimalism or simple living, mm-hmm. I can see how it would conjure some images of this. I think the only thing that to me would signal, like not giving up the premise, right? If the premise, if the premise of any of it is control. Then, then, then you could do that with with fewer belongings or with more belongings. Yeah. I remember finding out that the average reader of Real Simple magazine had like a just a wild family household income. Mm. It was something like one hundred eighty thousand or something wow. per household, and I was like, "Oh, that's very simple. That's extremely simple living. <laughs> um, real simple." But um, I think what the I think the 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 aesthetic that what I was what I was reading in some things was just that that beautiful Spartan quality was just another way of saying, look at all the time I have to curate everything in such a way that it makes my life feel like it's full of beautiful choices. Mm. And that can be quite elitist and quite I think if the illusion is that we can determine every aspect of our lives with our magical choices, then yes, I believe that is utterly bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I think if we recognize that most, many, some of the things that are going to term, determine our lives are the things we don't get to choose. Yeah. And then we live with, we just try to live with truth and beauty and intentionality with the rest. Then I say, make me a minimalist. Yeah. So uh, w- tell me what, what is your definition of an elitist? Either of you, what, what, what is an elitist? So, someone who's rich and, and, and what, what make, what makes a rich person an elitist? I don't know what makes a rich person elitist. I, I can tell you what elite means yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, elite means, performing above and beyond something mm. now we use elitist pejoratively yeah um and, and so i don't really know exactly what it means and so i'm not defending any point i just don't i don't know i think that word is thrown out there in a way to almost shut down conversations right yeah. there are a lot of words like that they're shaming words in a way where where we we throw out these words not to have a discussion around the thing but to almost shut down a discussion around a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Barley is doing that here, but whoever was was you know, commenting on whatever post she was reading on, yeah. on the internet, it, it's almost a, as a, a way to be completely yeah. dismissive. Well, because you yeah. can take anything and make it into the pageant of that thing. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of the, you know, when the, when the, when the Pope who has, you know, and... and, and some of the most religious money in, in, in the universe will wear like slippers, right? Mm-hmm. As a gesture of humility. Mm-hmm. And like that there's that in the midst of um, that any, any theology, ideology set of choices can always be like a quarter turn away from the, from the parody of it mm-hmm. in which we can, you know, perform all of our values without necessarily having to like live with the contradiction of them. So mm-hmm. I hear, I hear it when we have to strip down, yes, you're imagining choice, you're imagining the, 
the illusion that um, life is something to be controlled. And that's only something is what I heard in that question that the mm-hmm. people with lots of choices can do. Yeah. yeah. But also we, none of us get out of the problem of having to make these really like there's a lovely and boring word for it. It's prudential wisdom. Prudence is this wonderful word that just means the wisdom to, to see those fine distinctions and know, I think that's what you guys are talking about. Yeah. So an elitist, I guess could be a minimalist. But sure. Yeah, but I don't know if it's the other way because, like, I look at well, you're a Jesusy person. I would call Jesus a minimalist. Was he an elitist? You know, <laughs> but yeah, it depends what you mean by elitist in, right. in that sense, right. right? And that's why I asked the question is because, like, what does it mean by elite? To me, it's when someone says minimalism is for elitists only or whatever. I mean, they're just shutting down the conversation. They are. They're looking at it and saying, "I couldn't live that way." Mm-hmm. because of my own desires and my own actions. And so I'm going to put a label on it that is going to give me permission to avoid this, you know, minimalism. I love what you talked about, you know, take minimalism out of it. I mean, yes. look at intentionalism or deliberatism or curationism or whatever it is. Right. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's hard to, it's hard to sit here and say like, well, only Minimalism is only good for rich people. I mean, I've seen countless articles where it's like, minimalism doesn't work for the poor. It's like, why would you, why would you exclude someone like that? Yeah. Like, well, it, it's just, it's fascinating to me because um, I'd have to pretend that we don't get all these letters and emails and phone calls from people from everywhere from Kenya to Kalamazoo mm-hmm. who are, are talking about wherever they are on the socioeconomic spectrum what they've realized is we've been acculturated to have certain desires that aren't our desires. You know, it's called mimetic desire, right? And, and so there's all of these sort of cultural desires that are propagated by our religion, by culture, by society, by our peer groups, by our coworkers, by wherever we are in our city and, 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 and our careers. And these things are quite often making us miserable. She mentioned suffering mm-hmm. and Everyone is suffering. The people I see suffering the most, and it's not that it's not that one yeah. is better than the other. Quite often, the people I see suffering the most mm-hmm. are the ones who I would look at and say, "You have no reason to be miserable." Yeah, but that doesn't make the suffering any less real. There's kind of a nice little because um, I like the problem of desire. I know it's like every every philosophical you know, school has this problem of like the, the problem of desire and like, is it okay that we want things and do we increase our own suffering by wanting too much or chasing the, like creating malformed desires and then drowning in them, you know, mm-hmm. and we see that all the time with lovely people who just keep trying and trying and trying and buying and buying or, mm-hmm. and they just never get there mm-hmm. and wherever there is, it's not a place they live. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a lovely like little, I just remember having this problem after coming out of the hospital when I was trying to figure out like, okay, well, I don't know how how long I'm going to live, but I know I have to like figure out some kind of way of doing this. Mm -hmm. And obviously my way of doing this before was my super super hustle train and I was great at it. (laughs) (laughs) And now I, that can't be the driver. And I found. Why can't it be the driver? Because I could just, I mean, I, I, I would just make. I would let that feeling of productivity consume everything else. I think that's a big driver. The desire to be productive 
That's also a mimetic desire, right? Other people, we see them hands moving and, and yeah. GTD, whatever it is, yeah. you know, getting things done and hustle, 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 right? <laughs> I made that whole system one time and had lots of folders. Yes. <laughs> like every day was a folder. And right. If you're, and if your partner talks to you, like you have to put it on a note and then put that note in the day folder. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel like we have that kind of relationship. It's you know, the, the spreadsheets of goals, all of these things. Yeah. Well, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. What I see is we're creating a culture that is obsessed with doing things that make us miserable. And that's why I asked, yeah. well, why is that not sustainable for you? Because the question you asked, like, okay, I got out of the hospital. I said, okay, n- now what? Now what? Yeah, now what? Now what? But I was really we, good at this Can we all version. ask that? Yeah, right? I really hope. I mean, my drama tends to give me more like a... You know, I just get like stark choices sometimes, but I really do think we all get this, these really, we all get the problem of now what? Like we've got numbered days, hours, resources, people to love. Everything about us is narrows to a dot on the horizon. Mm. And because of that, like what now? And I, I had really let like that kind of like being in fifth gear feeling to, it helped me get out a lot of difficult circumstances I was like well I was one of the only women who could get like a job in my field Mm. I I mean I was able to be hyper productive at a time in which no human person should be able to Mm. and uh and all of that gave me a certain amount of sense of purpose and joy and then all the rest of it made me feel exhausted and scared yeah and like it was it was never going to be enough and I, I didn't even know how to, to just get off the, get, get out of the paradigm. I think, to, mm. I think the toxic part of the, what we're talking about here with the toxic positivity is the exhausted and scared and fearful and grieving that turns into self-pity, which I want to talk to you about on the maximal here in a second. But um, actually, before we move on to the lightning round, <laughs> Barley, I want to send you some tickets. We're going to be uh, in Salt Lake City. <laughs> You're in Boise. You got to make the drive down. What is that? 84 to 15? Something like that? I don't know. I'm not an atlas. (laughs) Don't let him fool. He has the entire uh, United States tattooed on his back. Really? Why have we not gotten into this before? Josh, you said you would never tell. It's a a tramp stamp, really, is what it is. (laughs) Watch me dance. Uh, Barley, we're coming to 20 cities. It's the Love People Use Things Tour. We just had a new book come out. It's called Love People Use Things Because the Opposite Never Works. Mm. And uh, one of the cities we're coming to is right down the street from you there in Salt Lake City. We'll be there, oh, this month. The tour starts today when this episode comes out. Mm which is next Tuesday, and we're going all over the place. Uh, U.S., Canada Thank as well. You. We're back yes, at indeed. it. Yeah. We'll be on the coast, so New York and Boston and D.C., and we'll be in Florida and Nashville and Atlanta and three cities in Texas and L.A. and San Francisco and Denver, a bunch of other places. TheMinimalists.com slash tour if you're interested. But, Barley, we're going to send you a couple tickets for the Salt Lake event. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is? It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. That's the first time I've been able to say that number without looking at it. (laughs) You looked really focused. The irony of this is those texts, they go to both of our phones, literally. (laughs) So people can text us. But like we just have this app. It's a shared app that we, we use together. Anyway, Kate, during the lightning round, so Ryan and I and our guests, we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. Great. 
It's a minimal maximum. It has to be something yeah. really pithy like and Like buy low, sell high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Write that down, Sean. <laughs> Throw that in the Take show dictation. notes. <laughs> uh, we, put the, we do put them in the show notes so people can copy and share the pithy answers on social media. You can maunder on a bit. We'll tweeze something out and make it look beautiful. Uh, Carrie has a question for us. Where did the notion come from that being positive is the cure for everything, the path for everyone, the solution to whatever life throws at you? What's wrong with embracing sadness, contemplation, grief? anxiety mm. well here's my pithy answer for you maybe we can unpack it a little bit so self-pity is the bedrock of toxic certainty let's sit on that for a second <laughs> so so i think quite often yeah there's nothing wrong with grieving there's nothing wrong with these things we've got to stop moralizing and if we want to better understand how yes. we feel right because then we just repress it oh i'm Anxious, anxious. I shouldn't be anxious, mm -hmm. and therefore let's just hide that. Right. Let's pretend, and that always works. You know how yeah. I can cover it up. <laughs> if you push it deep down, it'll never bubble up. <laughs> right. That's what the down part is for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the whole directional problem. I'll hide it by being more yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. And, and yet, I think we can get certainty as well from this sort of self pity, where it's like, oh, woe was me. You know, it's, and then. Yeah. Now, now that is my place of certainty, which is a, a, you know, a basic human need. We all have a need for some amount of certainty, but one mm. of the ways we get emotional certainty is being uh, trapping ourselves in that cycle in a way. Did yeah. you ever experience that when you, when, yeah. especially with your diagnosis? Well, I felt, because I guess my plan for before was the kind of everything is possible plan. And then when everything was not possible, mm. I was like, well, I, I can't do the opposite, which would be fatalism and despair and nothing is possible. So I tried, oh. I guess I'm, I'm more and more obsessed with the idea of limited agency. You minimalist. Little place. <laughs> little place of action, little place of intention. But yeah, and I and just always being able to ask, well then, if, if it's not everything, it's not nothing, then what is possible today? And that little bit of runway is a place where I can find um, freedom, but not the kind of illusion of, of, of self-mastery. Yeah. Mm. There's something like, beautiful we can tweeze out there, Sean. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it's like the, the, the balance between anything is possible and nothing is possible. And that's, I think that's what minimalism helps. Well, helps me do that. It just kind of finds that middle ground. Yeah, um, yeah that's that's awesome. Um, uh, my pithy answer is this: Our emotions are mountains. The peaks create the valleys. We mm. have to experience the negative with the positive. But if we stay in the valley, it's going to be a problem. If we try to stay on the peak, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. What I love about this answer is it also exposes something as well that our need for the peaks. Mm. creates deeper valleys in our Ooh, lives yeah. so that the chasing of the happiness that we yeah. talked about earlier if we're constantly you know the adrenaline junkie or whatever mm -hmm. it creates these these deeper valleys mm -hmm. for us yeah and uh and although you know what's beautiful about that is sometimes those valleys are really beautiful too yeah right mm -hmm. i've heard i have a friend that she she says um like that that those valleys they can like excavate out deeper joy and Oof. so like it digs out something inside of you so it's not just that you're in the valley but like it like it helps you go richer and deeper than you could have otherwise and i think that's right yeah i don't know people who haven't experienced a lot of pain who don't have an incredible capacity for joy yeah that's yeah i agree with that you know it's interesting what i've been trying to do i just kind of realized this over the last year like whenever i experience negative emotions whether it's sadness or anger whatever it is yeah instead of like trying to sh shove it down or 
uh, worse, like, you know, um, <clears throat> exacerbate it. Right. Like yeah. I, I can take that emotion and I can be like, Oh wow. Like how lucky am I to really even experience mm. this, this, this negative emotion. That doesn't mean that I am enjoying the negative emotion, yeah. but I can at least like look at it like, Oh, this is par- part of humanity. Yeah. You notice your aliveness. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. there's, there's actually, there is, um, I think there can be some beauty in those, in those negative emotions. I'm not saying yeah. every single time, but yeah. I have been able to find beauty, like just the sadness that I feel sometimes. It's yeah. like, uh, it's like a, wow, like how lucky am I to like care this much about something, you know? Yeah. yeah. And Russian literature wouldn't exist if they weren't like, you know, this really sad emotion doesn't need a lot of novels. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not, not so. a lot of positivity yeah. in Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Well, we got so much more to talk about, but Ryan, you got something for us first? Oh, yeah. Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, Josh and Ryan. Um, I just wanted to share an experience I had with your listeners um, because I often think about um, what to do in situations with gift giving and gift receiving. And um, when my birthday rolled around this year, I really wanted to have a talk with um, some of my friends about how I wanted to celebrate and um, how I don't really want physical gifts because a lot of the times I don't use um, the things that they give me. And um, when we started talking about it, they actually, um, to my surprise, agreed. And they were actually talking about how they really don't even like to just aimlessly walk around the mall and just trying to kind of find something um, that they think I might like. And um, we all agreed that it was kind of a pointless and um, aimless, um, unintentional way to shop for somebody. And um, I was really surprised at what they had to say about it and that they actually agreed not to do gifts this year. Um, so I just wanted to encourage everybody to have those discussions, even though they're hard, because you never know what they might say. And they might actually be relieved to hear that um, you don't want a gift and um, they can save money that way and just enjoy their time with you. Yeah, I just wanted to let everybody know that um, some people will actually agree with you, even if they're not minimalist. Hi, my name is Clara Dayhill. I'm from Amherst, Massachusetts. So I really enjoy your podcast. Um, I am in the military. I'm a member of the Coast Guard, and I'm really liking seeing the connection between middle and Muslim and being in the military. You know, we have the same uniform every day, really just a basic amount of stuff, and just having that freedom of everything you need, just keeping in what we call our sea bag, which is that green military-like backpack. Thank you, and I really enjoy your podcast. All right, uh, big thanks to Kate Bowler. Her new book is called No Cure for Being Human. You can check it out, well, wherever you check out books. We'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. She also has a podcast called Everything Happens, and uh, we'll put a link to that as well. Also, katebowler.com, I believe, is the website. You know it. There we go. Yeah, I visit it daily. (laughs) (laughs) It's a practice. It's a meditative practice. Mm -hmm. We got a bunch more surprise questions for Kate this Thursday over on Patreon. That's the maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the Minimalist. Kate, we're getting ready to go out on tour. And so we're going to be all over the place, 20 different cities. Uh, Jordan just made this beautiful new trailer, tour trailer, 
It's hilarious. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Check out this tour trailer. It's um, well, it's the process of Ryan and I writing this book. You get to see the entire three-year process in about a minute, <laughs> and it's exactly verbatim how it went. <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, you can check it out. Uh, it's just uh, theminimalists.com/tour for any of those cities we're going to. Twenty different cities for our added value this week. Anybody here familiar with William Tyler? He has uh, a phenomenal album, which hmm. is called Modern Country, which is weird because it's not country music, but modern country. And the song is called Highway Anxiety. Hmm. And Tim, who was hanging these paintings from, from uh, Wove Arts, he was like, hey, I'm really into the minimalist composers, and I think this would be right up your alley. But it's sort of neo-minimalism in terms of composition. And it's all instrumental. So let's end this episode today with some highway anxiety. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like how do I balance positivity and disappointment? Why does Kate avoid creating a bucket list? (laughs) How do we deal with the frustration that arises when people insist that our trauma is a gift? What do you do about the overwhelming expectation that surviving something traumatic like cancer should lead you to a joyous epiphany and a constant positive outlook on life. Plus a million more questions for Kate and the minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, join us on the minimalist private podcast this week, visit patreoncom slash the minimalists to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You can follow the minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the minimalists come to one of our live podcast shows, visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.